0: Back in 2012, I was in my senior year of college, serving at a local church, heading up their local Awana program and participating in that. And as a ministry leader, then also as a young man who is desiring to pursue vocational ministry, the pastor of that church invited me to sit in on what they called the church's administrative board meeting which was the way that church was structured. They had their different ministry leaders and, and they would gather together annually once a year and, and the elders would, would sit down with them and discuss different ministry agendas and plans and hopes for the new year. But one of the things that the pastor of that church would do is he would, he would have a book that he would give to all of these ministry leaders and as part of that agenda for that meeting, we were required to read that book and then be prepared to engage in discussion as we made ministry plans for the year moving forward. Well, the book that was given to me that uh, I was required to read as well, even though I was attending more as an observer than anything else, was a book by David Capellian called The Marketing of Evil. The Marketing of Evil. This book outlines how many of the various social ills that have "...come upon our nation, they have not occurred by accident, but rather they have been marketed to us, they have been pushed upon us, and quite successfully so, so that the masses have been drawn in by these things and the results have been devastating for society." So from a variety of different perspectives, there are different chapters of the book that would take on different topics from pornography to abortion to homosexuality, other vices that were present. The erosion in America was not by accident, it's not because we've just slowly drifted as a society, but because we've been pushed, and intentionally so, by individuals who desire to steer the direction of morality in our land. Capellian recently expanded this work to include additional research and chapters and things that, that were not present, pressing things when he initially wrote the book back in 2005. It is an eye opening book that does reveal many of the sinister intentionality behind our cultural slide. And it is full of primary source citations and quotations that would be shocking for us to read, and yet. These things have been said publicly in public forums for literal decades, especially within our universities, and we are reaping the fruit of that today. One of the chapters in Capellian's book is titled, Family Meltdown, The Campaign to Destroy Marriage. That chapter seeks to answer this question. How is it that we have gone from viewing the, the, the family structure as being one of the most foundational aspects of our society to where we have to prove some form of infidelity or some kind of physical abuse in order to obtain a divorce to now being at a place where all we have to do is pay a $250 fee and we can finalize a divorce in 90 days with little to no questions asked? How have we gone from viewing marriage as the backbone of society to the introduction of no fault divorce to a society that has eventually watched the divorce rate skyrocket over the next several decades since no fault divorce was introduced? A divorce rate that jumped over 50%. It's a long and sad story. Of course, it's interwoven with many factors. It's difficult to summarize everything and say, well, this is the one factor. Well, no, it's more complex than that. But in summary, just a few of the key steps in this devolution of sorts. First, there was an intentional push to destroy marriage from the feminist movement as they considered marriage to be holding women back. This was something that was heavily pushed. Listen to some of these quotations. Quote, we have to abolish and reform the institution of marriage. This was written in a journal on education back in the 1970s. Another quotation, being a housewife is an illegitimate profession. The choice to serve and be protected and plan towards being a family, towards being a family maker is a choice that shouldn't be. The heart of radical feminism is to change that. Vivian Gornick, a tenured professor at the University of Arizona. Like prostitution, marriage is an institution that is extremely oppressive and dangerous for women. It's putting it on the level of prostitution. Here's this from a professor of philosophy at the University of Wisconsin. Legal marriage enlists state support for conditions conducive to murder and mayhem. These quotes come from people, they they sound extreme, like, wow, those are really extreme things to say, but these are individuals that are teaching in our schools, they're writing in influential journals, they're speaking at events and have been for decades. These aren't, none of those quotes are from the last 20 years. There's been an intentional push within academia and from the intellectual, uh, sometimes I hesitate to use the word intellectual elites, but that's a reality, these individuals pushing this agenda. Another factor is that uh, Ronald Reagan, when he was the governor of California, in what would l- he would later view to be one of his greatest mistakes in his public policy, one of the worst mistakes of his life, he signed a bill changing California's divorce laws To introduce the first no-fault divorce position. Making it easier for anyone and anyone to get a divorce for any reason or no reason at all. Even if the other person in that marriage did not desire the divorce. So with those factors at play, divorce skyrocketed over the next several decades and has remained high for several decades... Interestingly enough, over the last several years, the divorce rate has fallen to 50-year lows, and that might seem encouraging at first, but it's also coupled with historic lows in the marriage rates. And so, okay, yeah, we can say, yeah, people aren't getting divorced as much, but they also aren't getting married as much as well. Instead, hookup culture and cohabitation reigns. And this makes it clear that the way we view marriage as a society has not improved. We have a culture that looks upon marriage as something that holds you back, that prevents you from exploring your horizons, that, that, that it only complicates matters because, you know what, you're probably going to end up in a divorce anyway, so why even go forward with a marriage? You're just going to make it worse. This view demonstrates that our culture does not value marriage. It does not honor marriage. Today's sermon is from Mark chapter 10, verses 11 through 12. If you open your Bibles to that passage if you have not done so already. In this passage, Jesus is going to teach about marriage and divorce. And in this text, we have several direct teachings about the nature of marriage and divorce. And something that is missing from this text that we're going to we're gonna see as we get into it is that the usual exceptions that we think about, like, okay, yes, divorce is bad. Well, except for in, in other texts in Matthew and in in Paul's writings in First Corinthians, there are exceptions that are listed. Mark does not list the exceptions. Mark doesn't bring those into his text. And I I want to make note of that up front because as we go through this text today, I think it's common that our our minds are often going to want to jump towards the exceptions. Like, okay, yeah, I understand that teaching, but what about this thing over here? Well, What about this particular circumstance? And I just want us to pause for a moment. I want us to pause. Because what I want us to see today is the positive ethic that this text is teaching. The positive way that that Jesus speaks about marriage. Anytime we're dealing with principles and and understanding application of principles, we're never supposed to start with exceptions. That's never the starting place. No, we always start with what is the baseline principle? What's the foundational principle? We start there. And then later on, as we begin to explore specific cases and other things that Scripture says, then we can press into exceptions. But but we must start with the baseline. We must start with the foundational principles. Of course, we exist in a fallen world where sin and hardship exists. But if we aren't rightly embracing the foundational principles the baseline expectations that Jesus put forwards, we will not properly be equipped to get into the exceptions. It must begin with a right understanding of the foundational principles. And so because of the way Mark has framed this teaching, this is not a sermon about the exceptions. I'm aware the exceptions exist. Okay? I'm aware of those texts. We're not preaching those texts today. Today we're in Mark chapter 10. Mark certainly was aware of other teaching on this as well, but Mark chose to eliminate those from the text, not because, I say eliminate, he he chose to write what he wrote, not because he was unaware, not because he didn't believe in exceptions, but because he was interested in a particular point and getting that point across, and that's the point we want to see today and embrace today. So let's begin with reading our text, Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, "Oh, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let us set the scene for a moment. After Jesus' private instruction with His disciples that we saw in previous passages, they travel on and they come to the familiar location in the region of Judea. And here Jesus encounters the crowds once again. They gather to Him again. This is is a common theme found throughout Jesus' ministry. He goes to a place, he, He sits down there, the crowds gather to Him, and then He teaches them. And then we have a visit from the local fan club the pharisees of course jesus has been on their bad side since chapter 3 when he was first teaching them about the sabbath and things are only going to grow more intense as we begin to move closer and closer to jerusalem but for now here the pharisees come and they're asking him a question and The text says they they want to test him. And I just say, as an aside, this is an incredibly foolish thing to do. Testing, challenging the God-man to like a battle of wits of sorts. Very foolish. But they ask anyway, they ask this question. Okay, this this would have been a a common point of debate amongst the, the religious leaders at that time. There were different schools of thought about divorce and remarriage and such. There were some that believed... Pretty much all of them believe that there was there were some legitimate grounds for divorce at some level. But what is that legitimate grounds of divorce? Some say, oh, it could only in the cases of things like adultery and significant things like that would divorce be permitted. But then there were other schools of thought that said, well, you know, anything, anything that's displeasing to the husband, he can divorce her. So even if that means. And there's literally documentation of this. Even if that means she burns the food too much, that is a legitimate reason and you're good to go. You can write that certificate and off she goes. And so here they are asking Jesus to weigh in on a question that was a source of debate amongst the religious leaders. And Jesus responds by asking a question in return. That's a very common tactic of His. Look at verse 3 what did Moses command you? What did Moses command you? Let's, let's just start with the basics, right? Let's, let's go back. What has been written? This is a, a great, great principle for us anytime we're dealing with ethical questions. What does the Bible say, right? A great foundational place to start. Let's go back. What has been written? What does the law actually say, now, Jesus' word here in this question and the response of the, of the Pharisees is very important. He says, what did Jesus command you? And notice how they respond in verse 4, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate and to send her away. The reply from the Pharisees is about what, they, what Moses allowed, not what about what was commanded, Moses allowed a man to write this certificate. The text that they would have been citing would have been Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to have that up on the screen for us. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her. If then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house... Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Several things that we should note about this text, about this teaching. We need to notice what the text does and does not say. This passage does not command divorce in any circumstance. Nor does it say specifically under what circumstances a divorce is legitimate and may be permissible. But rather it acknowledges that divorce was a reality and puts certain constraints upon the man in an attempt to limit perhaps some of the damage that might be caused. So this would have been the backdrop. This would have been the text that the Pharisees would have been looking to. Oh yeah, Moses, Moses allowed, he permitted a certificate of divorce to be written. But Jesus is now going to counter and reply in verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart... He wrote you this commandment. Divorce was a concession due to hard hearts. It's a concession because of the hardness of hearts. Because we live in a fallen world... There will always be sin when two people get married. That's the reality. There will always be sin. That marriage is always between two sinners. And there's a couple of books that have been written that I'm aware of that kind of lean into this concept. One is, When Sinners Say I Do. Now, I personally haven't read that book. I know it exists, so I'm not vouching for the value of it. But the concept, when sinners say, I do, we're, re- we're trying to help people reckon with this concept that we're bringing two sinners together. The second book, What Did You Expect by Paul Tripp, that's the title. What Did You Expect, the premise there is, you know, okay, we've got two sinners that are coming together one sinner joining together with another sinner well what did you expect of course you're going to have problems in your life of course you're going to experience hardship and disunity and dysfunction because you're both sinners and the premise of the book is try to help individuals walk through this okay how do we handle this when we encounter it not if but when because we're both sinners it's foolish to expect everything be sunshine and roses for the entirety of your life, right? You're going to encounter hard things. So, we do live in a fallen world with sinners, marrying sinners, and sometimes things that occur that would even lead to the dissolution of a marriage. Some sin has been committed. Something has happened that has broken the relationship to such a degree that one or both parties seeks to end the marriage. Jesus says that Moses' teaching on divorce was a concession for that, but not a requirement. In an ideal world where, where sin would occur, there, there would be repentance. Forgiveness and restoration. When sin occurs, it would be handled biblically and and rightly and recognizing, oh, okay, I've done this thing, I shouldn't have done this, I, I repent of that, and will you forgive me? Yes, I'll extend that forgiveness to you. And there's restoration and the relationship can go forward. But we don't live in an ideal world. Hearts are often hard, as Jesus says. And so repentance is often left unpursued. Forgiveness isn't always extended. So if a divorce happens, Jesus says, Moses permitted that because of the hardness of your hearts. There was that concession. And the law contains some guidelines to limit some of the damage that could be caused. There's one commentator who wrote this, and I, I just appreciated the way he worded things. He wrote, "...God's regulation of divorce is a concession necessitated by human sinfulness, and therefore an attempt to limit its destructiveness. In this way, Jesus makes a distinction between commands set forth by, uh, that set forth God's will for His people, i.e., God's ultimate desires, and commands that take into account human sinfulness and seek to minimize its consequences." So we see that this was not God's design for marriage. This is not the way that God wanted it to be. Though God's law recognized that these things would happen, it doesn't celebrate it. It doesn't normalize it. it. It places it in the context of something that has gone horribly wrong. Jesus says it's because of the hardness of the heart of mankind. Jesus teaches us this, He's going to go on to present a positive ethic of marriage. If Divorce was a concession and it was not the intent. What was the intent? Verse 6, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage was intended to be permanent. That was the original intent. Jesus quotes from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3 in this text to teach us about God's design for marriage. God made humanity male and female. They correspond to one another. They complement one another. And he's, God is the one who invented marriage. God is the one who brought man and woman together in holy matrimony. We call it holy matrimony for a reason. It is holy because it is before God. It is not just a societal construct. It is not just something that we do and sign papers to register with the state so we get a tax benefit. It is not just something of this world that we recognize here. No, there is something more to this. It is God who blesses marriage. Something that's interesting to me that, that I find most commentators miss when studying this passage, when Jesus first asked The Pharisees, what did Moses command you? They respond from Deuteronomy, forgetting that Moses also wrote the book of Genesis. Moses penned the words that Jesus quoted when He said, God made them male and female, and that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's Genesis chapter 3, which Moses wrote. So when Jesus asked the Pharisees, what did Moses command you? They they really ought to have gone back to Moses to establish the baseline principles. That's what Jesus is seeking to establish for them here in this text. No, let's go back even further than Deuteronomy. Let's establish the, the baseline principles and then we'll take steps forward to understand things moving forward. But it seems that even the Pharisees, they were so focused on the exceptions that they missed the baseline principle. And that's such an easy trap for us to fall into. We want to start with the exceptions. We want to start with the harder cases and then work backwards. But that's not the way we should reason through any ethical issue. We should never start with the exceptions and work backwards. We must always start with the baseline, always start with the foundational principles and build up from there. So Jesus wants us to embrace the baseline. So what is the baseline? There's... Three key aspects of the baseline right here. First, in creation itself, God made humanity male and female. They're designed for one another. They complement one another. Second, when a man gets married to his wife, he leaves his father and his mother. He, he goes out, he begins to create something new with this new family, with, this, with his wife. He's no longer just part of his parents' family, but he's now part of a brand new family that is formed together. New family, new relationship. And third, when the husband and wife are united together in marriage and the intimacy that they experience together, they are united as one flesh. They are knit together in a unique way and God looks upon them as one unit. And so, that's why we have Jesus concluding this section with a command of his own. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Put asunder, that's the old, yeah, the old King James, let not man put asunder, yes. God is the one who brought them together. God is the one who is, who is in and through this process of marriage. Don't break apart. What God has done. This is God's work. And so again, marriage is not just a civil or a societal concept. There is a certain sacredness to the institution of marriage. Marriage is not to be considered lightly. It is a big deal. And when two people come together in marriage, they are married not just in the eyes of society, but in the eyes of God Himself. And if God has done something, who is mankind to tear it apart? God intended marriage to be permanent. Again, this is the baseline. These are the foundational principles. This is what Jesus wants us to embrace. Things are going to pop through our minds. Things are going to go through, well, what about this? What about that? And I'm more than happy to have those conversations. More than happy to work through different biblical texts with you and to work through all of that. But again, this isn't a sermon about the exceptions. This is Mark chapter 10. This is God's design for marriage, God's design for relationships between men and women. We cannot think rightly about the exceptions if we do not first embrace the baseline principle. We cannot think rightly about divorce if we do not first think rightly about marriage. If God has intended marriage to be permanent, any time marriage is ended by anything other than death, something has gone horribly wrong, and we have to recognize that. That should not be controversial. But in today's day and age, it so often is. People treat marriage and divorce in this flippant, casual manner. Jesus does not give us the freedom to approach it so casually. Well, if that's not enough, Jesus is going to add to this teaching as the disciples say they, they can always be counted on to ask more questions, and that's what they do here. At verse 10, in the house, the disciples asked Him again about this matter. This is, so now this is more a little bit of a private moment. The disciples come to Him and they say to Him, oh, well, what, what, what about this? Tell us more about this, please. And Jesus says in verse 11, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Jesus teaches us that divorce and remarriage is therefore tantamount to adultery. And this flows logically because God has designed marriage to be permanent and because God is the one who has brought the man and the woman together and because of the one flesh union that exists for a husband to divorce his wife or for a wife to divorce her husband on illegitimate grounds and then try to enter into another marriage relationship with another person. Jesus says, That's adultery. You are married to this other person in the eyes of God. You have departed from that person illegitimately to engage in this other relationship is adultery because you're still, in God's eyes, married. Thus, engaging in intimacy with that new spouse would therefore be adultery. It's a pretty serious matter. These are weighty things. Again, our culture views marriage and divorce so flippantly. You know, not long ago I saw a story online of of a woman who filed for divorce on the day she was married because the groom smashed food into her face and messed up her $3,000 makeup job. Another woman divorced her husband because he didn't like one of her favorite Disney movies. We laugh at that, and we, we should to a degree. that It is silly, but it reveals just how far we've fallen and how flippantly we view marriage and divorce, how casually we think about this institution that God has made between a man and a woman. When you can get married by the justice of the peace one day and then file for divorce the next day, and our culture just kind of shrugs its shoulders up, well, this is just the day we're living in. is not good. This is not healthy. It flies in the face of everything that we know about the way God has designed marriage to be. Divorce can only be, be viewed casually if marriage is viewed casually. And we will only take divorce seriously when we take marriage seriously. This is what Jesus is teaching us. That divorce was a concession because of the hardness of hearts. God's intent and design for marriage was that it would be permanent. And that a failure in this area is tantamount to adultery. You know, teachings like this, in the words of Christ, they're, they're going to generate many questions for us. Our society, you know, we look at the divorce rates and we think, oh, that's upwards of 50%. The odds are very, very high. You have an over 50% chance, if you've interacted with somebody who has ever been married in their life, there's an over 50% chance that they have also experienced a divorce. That's the society we live in right now. So there's many questions that, that this kind of text can, can bring up for us, and I want you to know that I am more than willing to talk through all of the questions. I will make myself available to talk through all the scenarios, to, to, to wrestle with all of the things. As I was reflecting and thinking about the different things and almost trying to anticipate what questions might come up and, and the things that might run through people's minds, I, I wrote out some of the questions that I might anticipate and what some of my responses might be to those things. And I thought about including them within this sermon and to to talk about those almost in an attempt to preempt the questions. However, I ultimately decided against that and for one primary reason, Mark doesn't go into them. Other passages of Scripture do address those things, and, and I'm happy to go through those, but, but I, I didn't want to take away from the main point of what Mark wanted us to sit with. Mark had a point here. Mark wants us to embrace something about the ethic of marriage, about the way God designed marriage, and I didn't want to dilute that by getting into all these discussions about all these other things. So I'm not ignoring that those passages exist. I'm not ignoring that those questions exist. And I want you to know I'm more than happy to talk through all of those things. But I do want us to embrace the key foundational principles and start there and then explore the everything else from there. There is one thing that I do want to... To address and cause us to think through as we think about this. And, 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 I, and I hope I want to give us gospel hope and encouragement through this conversation. For, so, for many, many conservative churches, and I can even think about the way that I grew up, and, and the concept of divorce was not openly spoken about as much as it is spoken about in our culture today. And so, it was very much a, a very taboo subject that would create a culture of, of shame around those who have gone through a divorce or things in their past. And I want us to know that this does not have to be the case for how we talk about these things. If there is is sin in our past, if there's things that we contributed to things in our past, we, we don't ignore those things, we don't want to gloss over those things, we want to recognize them and deal with them for the way that Scripture talks about them. There is freedom in identifying the truthfulness of our past. And the reality is, is that no one comes to Christ free from, and we, sometimes we use this term, baggage. These things that have happened within our past, these things that we've all gone through, we all have sinned in our past, we all have had sin committed against us within our past, and it affects us. It, it, it has, makes us into the people that we are today for good or ill We're all broken people affected by the curse of sin, by our own sinfulness, and by the sinfulness of others that have been perpetrated against us. But the remedy to all of that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are free from all of that. In Christ, our identity does not have to be wrapped up in whatever is within our past, be it divorce or any other sin, or any other sin that's been committed against us. We are not bound by that. So whether a a divorce or any other sin is, is your fault, your ex's fault, a combination thereof, the solution to all the feelings of guilt and shame are to run to the cross of Christ where we all stand as equals before the one who bore the payment. And the penalty of all our sin. In Christ, we are not adulterers or liars or thieves or idolaters. If we have come to faith in Christ, we are His children. And we are covered in the righteousness of Christ, clothed in His perfection. So the positive pathway forward, whatever our past is, is to embrace the ethic that Scripture teaches about marriage. We should embrace that marriage is a serious thing. It is a weighty thing. God designed it to be permanence. Consequently, divorce, therefore, is a serious and weighty thing. Any legitimacy in divorce is not out of design, but in concession. An illegitimate divorce and remarriage is tantamount to adultery. We have to embrace the baseline. That's the baseline. And so as we think about the application of that, whether we are married or not have a marriage in our past or not, Whatever, wherever we are in life. It, we, this isn't just about people who are married. This, there's application for this for all of us. If this is how God designed marriage, and if it is a significant and weighty thing, we should honor marriage. We should honor the way that God has designed things. Well, how do we do that? What does it look like to honor marriage well, we can avoid making light of marriage and divorce. We can avoid using cracking jokes about things like, Oh, you know, I got the old ball and chain. That's not a helpful or healthy way to think about the marriage relationship. Marriage is, is a serious thing. We should be careful about how we think about pushing others towards divorce, even if we think that it might be one, fall into one of the exceptions. God designed marriage to be permanent. And even where divorce is permissible, permissible doesn't mean, mean necessary or required. Let's honor marriage with how we talk about marriage, how we interact with others in their marriages. Let's celebrate marriage. Weddings are often a celebration, and they should be. God is bringing together a a man and a woman, bringing them together, and that should be a joyous occasion, a brand new family that is being created. That's a thing to celebrate. That's a thing to honor and rejoice in. For those of us that are married, we need to be committed to our spouses in such a way that, that we fight for our marriage. Now, we don't even allow the idea or the concept of divorce, of divorce to even be on the table because I'm going to fight for this relationship. That's a pathway forward in how we think about, how we talk about, how we interact about marriage. And in so doing, we honor God's design and, and we embrace the baseline that Jesus gives us within this text. And again, if If there are questions, if if you have things rolling around in your mind, come talk to me. I'm happy to talk about it, and I hope that that will be a grace-filled conversation. And so I just close with this passage from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, where the author of Hebrews says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text and the ethic that is presented here. Lord, this is a heavy topic. These are weighty things. We want to embrace what your word says. We want to view marriage according to the design of that you have given us. Lord, if any of us who may have have sinned in our past, Lord, I I ask that we would have the clarity of mind to to pursue repentance of that, to confess that before you and to rest in the forgiveness that is offered in Christ. Lord, I pray that this would not be a source of, of, of ongoing feelings of guilt and shame, It's been dealt with at the cross. It's been dealt with at the cross. I pray that we can rest in light of that. But I pray that as we move forward within our lives, that we can hold marriage in the honorable position in which you have placed it. That what you have joined together, we should not separate. We should not break apart. Pray, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified within our lives as we seek to live out lives of following Jesus and the teaching that He has given us. Glorify yourself in us and and, and in the way that we think, talk, and live out marriage. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.